is going on. Are you in Acts chapter 23? Paul, in, in the uh, previous chapter or two, uh, starting actually in chapter 21, uh, James, who was the leader at the church of Jerusalem, had uh, some worries that uh, many people had a, a false idea about what Paul was preaching and teaching. The rumor was that he was out telling the Jewish people when they converted the, to Christ uh, that uh, they, they uh, could live as a Gentile from that point on uh, and renounce, if you will, their Jewish heritage. And in order to quell the criticism, he said, why don't you take a vow? We got four guys. Uh, it appears maybe a Nazarite vow that they had taken. Why don't you join them? Um, and that'll just let everybody know that, uh, you know, in his words, that thou walkest orderly. Uh, James was being a little overly cautious. Um, and, um, you know, uh, Paul, Paul wasn't walking disorderly. Uh, and Paul's certainly willing to be a good testimony to, to the Jewish brethren for whom he had a tremendous burden. Um, uh, went ahead with that. But uh, the plan didn't work at all. Uh, we saw that while he was in the temple praying, some, Jew, some Jews from Asia, particularly we know Ephesus, saw him in the temple. Uh, they began crying out, said, this is the guy that's, that's teaching everywhere against our people, against the, the law of Moses, against the temple. Uh, and they got a riot. It ensued. They said, not only that, he's brought a Greek into the temple with him, which was, was a taboo thing. Uh, uh, in, in Jewish religion. And uh, so there was a riot within the temple itself. As that noise was uh, uh, heard throughout the city, people came from all quarters and uh, nobody knew really what was going on. Some were saying one thing, some another. Um, and the Romans had to intercede. Uh, the castle of Antonia or the tower of Antonia was in the, the, the corner of the temple complex. And uh, they were always watching out for any kind of trouble, any signs of unrest amongst the Jewish people. And the chief uh, captain uh, sent several centurions and their, their soldiers down in and they got Paul. Uh, they, he was being beaten, uh, that type of thing. The, the captain thought Paul was a, a notorious uh, Egyptian guy uh, who uh, led a, a, a team of assassins and so forth. And uh, Paul assured him, speaking to him in the Greek language, that he was not, that he was a Jew uh, of Tarsus uh, and so forth. Uh, they got Paul out of the, the crowd and they're going up the stairs into the castle. And Paul politely asked the chief captain, can I speak to the people? And uh, the captain said, sure, why not? And so Paul beckoned with the hand. And chapter 22, for the most part, uh, is Paul's message to the Jewish people. He speaks to them in Hebrew. Now, the Romans probably did not understand anything or not much at all of what Paul was saying, but he shared his, his history, he shared his testimony, how he met Christ on the road to Damascus, um, and so forth. And uh, the folks listened with a great silence. It had to have been an, an astounding moment to go from a riot to utter silence just like that. And they're listening as Paul taught. Um, and then in verse 21 of chapter 22, he, the Lord, said unto me, depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. 
And at the mention that now he was, if you will, turning his back on the Jews and going to the Gentiles, they gave him audience under this word and then lifted up their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. And as they cried out and cast off their clothes and threw dust into the air, they're back to rioting again. Uh, mobs have a tendency to do that an awful lot. Uh, so the chief captain brought him back in. We're reviewing quickly here so we can maybe move forward uh, a bit tonight. And uh, the chief captain wants to know the, the certainty of what, these, what this man Paul has done. He un undoubtedly did not understand the message. He does not understand uh, all the nuances of the Jewish religion um, if you study the history of that time period, Palestine, by the way, the name Palestine was given as an insult to the Jewish people by a Roman empire, a Roman emperor. Uh, it was named after the Philistines and by calling it Palestine instead of Israel, it was an insult to the Jewish people. It goes all the way back to the Roman Empire. Even while Israel still occupied the land, their temple was intact and so forth. Um, and uh, Palestine was known for its, uh, uh, the people being hard to control. The Jewish people saw themselves as superior to the Romans. Uh, of course, the Jewish faith uh, was grounded in scripture um, as, as opposed to the paganism of Rome and the, the, the preceding empires and so forth. So um, he, he doesn't understand what's going on. So if you remember, uh, he decided to have Paul tried by scourging. Um, and that's what happened to Jesus right before he was crucified. Um, and uh, the, the idea was they would scourge him until he confessed to something or died in the process. While they were tying him up, uh, Paul just looked to the man who was doing the, the tying him up and said, is it lawful for you to scourge somebody who is a Roman? Uh, as a Roman citizen, Paul enjoyed great privileges that the average person in the Roman Empire did not enjoy. One of them being you couldn't be tortured um, and that's what scourging was. Uh, verse 26 of chapter 22, when the centurion heard that, uh, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? And he said, Yea. And the chief captain answered, With a great sum obtained I this freedom. And Paul said, But I was freeborn. And straightway they departed from him, that which should have examined him. The chief captain also was afraid after he knew that he was a Roman because he had bound him. The chief captain had crossed the line. And if Paul complained to other authorities, the chief captain's job would be uh, certainly on the line. Verse 30 is where we ended last week on the morrow. Because he would have known the certainty whereof he was accused of the Jews, he loosed him from his bands and commanded the chief priest and all their counsel to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. So this is the meeting of the Sanhedrin. That's what that council was called. This would be the, the chief priest and, and his closest associates. And, and oftentimes it was the eldest members of their society and they were the leaders. This was the council that condemned the Lord Jesus to death. This was the council uh, that Peter and John 
and then eventually all of the apostles were brought before after the healing of the lame man in the temple. Um, and this is the council that in Jewish, the Jewish aspect of, of society, uh, they called the shots. So uh, verse one of chapter 23, and Paul earnestly beholding the council said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Now, understand that the, the, the name Paul is very familiar to them. Of course, back in his pre-Christian days, he was Saul of Tarsus, but he would have been well known to many of the people on that council. There was a day that Paul was intricately a part of that. Remember when they consented to Stephen's death, Paul was standing there. Uh, he was a part of all that. And uh, so he refers to them very politely, uh, very respectfully, men and brethren. And he made the statement, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. That's, a, that's an interesting statement. Our conscience. Our conscience is the part of our being that teaches us whether we are in the right or in the wrong. God placed that within us. Um, the conscience is very important. Paul is saying, I've, I've lived in all good conscience until this day. Um, now, I want you to remember, uh, he's, he's including his whole life. He's talking about even before he got saved. Uh, did Paul always do the right thing before he got saved? Yes or no? No, remember he persecuted uh, the believers. Uh, we, we, uh, we've already studied it and we've referred to it how many times that he was breathing out threatening and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. Um, but he says, I've lived in all good conscience. Um, we have to be careful because as human beings, as sinful people, our conscience is not always reliable. I know people that do all kinds of things wrong and their conscience doesn't bother them at all uh, because of that. Uh, turn, if you would, for a moment to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul shares a bit of his testimony um, here. And um, let's see, let's start, let's start at verse number 12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So even Paul is writing about that time. Uh, he actually thought he was doing service to God. Uh, by the way that he treated the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and he says, I did it ignorantly. I did it in unbelief. But, but understand, his conscience wasn't bothering him. We have to be careful that we don't let our conscience be our guide. Um, what should be our guide? Should be the word of God. The word of God does not change. And the word of God is the same across the board. And just because I don't see anything wrong with something, that's not the bottom line and that's not the standard of right and wrong. It is what does the Bible say? Uh, the Bible talks about those that have a seared conscience. 
a seared conscience. Uh, if you were to look at my hands on, on both hands across the knuckles, predominantly for some reason on my uh, left hand, I have calluses right, right here, this part of my hand. Uh, that's from the, the barbells that I, I lift. They have gnarling on them to help you be able to get a, a, a more stable grip, but that digs into your skin. I remember when Sam was teaching me uh, how to deadlift and so forth, uh, the first couple months, uh, not only was I terrible at deadlifting because uh, my left leg wouldn't cooperate at all and we couldn't find a way to make it work. Uh, when I did grab the bar and so forth, after, you know, uh, an hour of that, uh, my, my hands were raw right there. And, uh, you know, I'm putting lotion on it all the time and, and stuff like that. Uh, not cucumber melon, uh, you know, just medicated stuff because it hurt. Now it doesn't bother me at all. I've got calluses on there. And so um, I, I can lift the bars, whether it's a, a, a bench press, a deadlift, or whatever it happens to be, and that doesn't bother me anymore. It's callous. That's what the idea of a seared conscience is. We can commit a sin and do wrong to the point where it doesn't bother us anymore. Just because something, some activity, some, some action, some attitude doesn't bother us doesn't mean that we're okay in the sight of God. Uh, what does the Bible say? By the way, if we can do wrong, uh, that which the Bible says is wrong and it doesn't bother us, we've got a, some serious problem. Either number one, we're not saved, or number two, we have hardened our hearts in such a way that God's going to have to deal with us severely. So going back to chapter 23, Paul lived in all good conscience. Now we know that after he got saved, um, he, he continued with, with the, the uh, idea, I want, I want to have a good conscience before God, only now it's the Bible is his guide. Uh, I believe it was in, in 2 Corinthians, he said, the testimony of our conscience, that in godliness and sincerity we've served the Lord and so forth, and I'm paraphrasing there. And so Paul gives that, that's all he says. He says, uh, men and brethren, I've lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And, and it immediately, and the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. So the, the high priest was this guy named Ananias. If you read any of the history of that time period, Josephus uh, was a Jewish historian. He traveled with many of the Roman armies. Uh, he was an eyewitness to uh, the fall of Jerusalem, for example, in 70 AD. Uh, he had access to some of the Jewish histories that, uh, that no longer even exist today uh, because uh, they were destroyed uh, when Jerusalem fell or they were written on materials that did not survive the test of time. Josephus tells us that Ananias... Uh, basically bought his position as the high priest. The high priest was someone that had to be of the descendants of Aaron, the brother of Moses. The high priest was um, a, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ um, as our, our, our faithful high priest, Hebrews tells us. The high priest was in charge of everything that happened in the temple and in the, uh, before that, the tabernacle. Uh, on the Day of Atonement, for example, it was only the high priest on that one day of the year that was allowed into the Holy of Holies. 
Uh, the high priest uh, also uh, uh, could sometimes speak um, as, uh, as people would come with uh, questions, uh, prayer requests, seeking guidance. Uh, the high priest uh, could take it before the Lord and could give them uh, advice and counsel from the Lord. He was a well-respected person. He was to be a very spiritually devout person. Ananias was no such man. It is believed that he bought his position. He was very, very pro-Roman, um, and he uh, he worked on putting his family in key positions in Jewish culture. Uh, made sure that they were getting very, very wealthy uh, off of all that happened. If you remember the money changers in the temple that Jesus cast out, um, they were cheating the, the people, uh, charging them terribly high prices for sacrificial animals. Uh, cheating them if they came in with uh, currency from some other part of the world. They decided you could only use temple currency. And they gave it to you at unfair rates. Well, Ananias was behind a lot of things like that. Um, Ananias was eventually assassinated in 66 AD uh, for his pro-Roman leadings. That is the Ananias that is here. All Paul has said is one sentence. Men and brethren, uh, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And Ananias told somebody standing near him, punch this guy in the mouth. He didn't, he didn't like what Paul was saying. He, it may have been uh, that uh, he knew Paul's uh, reputation before he got saved. And, and now he was a Christian. His mind, you can't be a good Jew and be a Christian at the same time. And he saw that as a contradiction of terms. It might have also been he did not want Paul to launch into another sermon. Uh, so he, he uh, had somebody come punch him in the mouth. Verse 3. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. For sittest thou to judge me after the law and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. Now, Paul in these last few chapters has gone through an awful lot. Uh, he's been falsely accused in the temple and a riot ensued in which they were beating the living daylights out of him. Uh, he almost got scourged and, and he's, he spent a night uh, in a Roman prison uh, and so forth. And yet he managed to be respectful and kind and polite. And we see one of those rare moments where, where Paul's temper sort of gets the best of him. Um, and uh, the Bible says, then Paul said unto him, we're assuming that that is unto Ananias. Uh, he heard the, the, the directive being given, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. Who else in the Bible used that term, a whited wall? Yeah, Jesus did. In Matthew 23, when he was condemning the Pharisees, he called them whited Sepulchers. A sepulcher is a tomb. And what do you put inside a tomb? Dead bodies. Uh, they get gross and smelly after a while. Um, but uh, they would whitewash them to make them look real nice on the outside. And he said, that's what you are. Outwardly you appear beautiful unto men, Jesus said. But in, inwardly you are filled with dead men's bones. Paul uses the same vernacular when speaking to this man, Ananias, the high priest, and he is uh, he's, uh, giving his case. He said, for sittest thou to judge me after the law. I'm here before you and you're, you're supposed to judge me. 
and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. I haven't had a, even had a trial yet, and, and already you're commanding me to be punished. I've said one sentence, and, and uh, I haven't even been able to defend myself on anything. And so, by the way, was Paul right in what he said? Yeah. Ananias uh, was 100% in the wrong. But there's going to be an interesting twist on this. Look at verse 4. They that stood by said, revilest thou God's high priest. That's the position that Ananias held in society. That was a, um, that was a God-ordained position in the temple, the high priest. So somebody standing by said, are, are, are you reviling? Are you speaking bad uh, about God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wist not. That means I knew not, brethren, that he was the high priest. Uh, uh, the high priest would have been in this council. They weren't uh, meeting in the temple grounds. They were meeting in the Tower of Antonia. The chief captain had called them there. The high priest did not wear his garments outside of the temple. Uh, they were sacred and holy, um, and they weren't for, if you will, everyday use. So Ananias wouldn't have looked any different than any of the other members of this, this council. Paul said, I didn't know that he was the high priest, for it is written, thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Paul's quoting Exodus chapter 22 and verse 28. Do you understand here? Ananias was in the wrong. He was in the wrong. He's, he's commanded Paul to be smitten contrary to the law, um, totally in the wrong, but he has a position of authority, a position that was established by God, and God's word says, look again at verse 5, thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Ananias was wrong in what he commanded to be done, but you, I want you to understand, this is something we struggle with today, Paul also perceived that he was wrong because he had spoken evil against the high priest. Ananias wasn't a good man. Ananias historically was not a godly man and his actions right here against Paul were wrong, but he still had a position that was ordained by God and God's word says, you don't speak evil of the ruler of thy people. We live in a culture where we've taken free speech to limits that I'm not even sure the founding fathers uh, intended. Um, and it is, just, it is just the way we are to complain uh, about anybody that we want to complain about. And we're, we're good at it. It comes naturally to us. Um, you realize in countries like North Korea, you have to be careful that you don't even look like you're thinking something bad uh, about Kim Ong, Kim Jun Ong Il, the guy with the crazy haircut. Uh, if you even look like you're thinking something negative against him, you and your entire family, uh, your grandparents, your brothers, sisters, nieces, nephews, all get sent off to a concentration camp somewhere. You don't do it, but here, you know, we 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 find that that's acceptable and okay. Paul realized, I know he did me wrong but it wasn't right for me to speak evil of him because he holds a position that was created and ordained by God. 
Look in your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. There's a, there's a lesson here for us, a caution that we need to take to heart. Romans 13. Paul is writing, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Now, he's going to help us understand who these powers are. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained. They are established of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers, he's been talking about the powers, and now he interjects another word for them. They're the rulers. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, Fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Did you notice that I, I think I counted three times Paul referred to earthly rulers as ministers of God. Can somebody remind us who was the emperor when Paul wrote the book of Romans? Nero, a Bible-believing, independent, fundamental, King James-only Baptist preacher, right? No. Uh, a vile human being. And what did Paul call him three times? What did he call him? The minister of God. He said, he's, he's been ordained of God in that position. Um, by the way, Paul believed that. As soon as he found out that he had spoken badly of the high priest... Paul allowed himself to stand corrected on it because he knew the scriptures that you should not speak evil of your ruler. And so he writes to the Romans, and that's a, that's a, that's a hard thing to deal with, isn't it? Um, history, all of human history, is, is replete with, with uh, good rulers, and sadly it seems like many rulers, that more rulers that were bad, some downright terrible but as much as possible, there needed to be that respect shown. Was Nebuchadnezzar a godly man? No. Now, there's evidence that he may have, he may have come around uh, by the end of Daniel chapter 4. We're not certain of that. Uh, he, you know, after, uh, you know, God let him be, be crazy for seven years and uh, then uh, restored him to his, his full mind and he extolled the, the God of heaven uh, and so forth. Uh, but Nebuchadnezzar was a pagan man. He is the guy that destroyed the temple in Jerusalem and all of that. But if you read through the first uh, four or five chapters of the book of Daniel, with Daniel and his three friends, never one moment, never for one moment were they disrespectful for Nebuchadnezzar or any of the people Nebuchadnezzar appointed to be over them. 
they always spoke to him uh, in respectful terms. Um, why? Because they understood that uh, rulers are ordained by God and they got it early. Exodus 22 is uh, it, it is just a, a few chapters after the initial 10 commandments were given in Exodus 20. And it was all in the same conversation from Mount Sinai with the Lord. Turn, if you would, uh, to um, uh, let's go to first Peter. First Peter, chapter two. Peter is a contemporary of the Apostle Paul, and so he is dealing with the same rulers, and they're dealing with the same issues. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, I think that's where I want you. Um, let's look, please, uh, to verse number 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king is supreme or unto governors, is unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Is free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Last three words, church. Honor the king. Now, that doesn't mean that if uh, the, the, the government tells us that we've all got to uh, go out and get drunk on New Year's Eve or you're going to go to jail, that we have to do that. We obey God first. Uh, God is higher than that. But as long as our government is not teaching us to do something that's contrary to the word of God, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to obey whether we like it or not. How many like paying taxes? I didn't see a single hand that goes up. According to Romans, are we supposed to pay taxes? In fact, if you remember, uh, the enemies of Christ came to him one day and said, is it lawful to pay tribute to Caesar? And uh, Jesus uh, said, show me a penny. And they brought him one. He said, whose image is on here? And they said, Caesar's. And he said, render therefore to Caesar the things which are Caesar's and to God the things which are God. And he put that all to silence. Um, one last place I'd, ha I'd have you turn, please. Uh, turn, if you would, to the book of Jude. The, the book of Jude, and I think I want you in verse 8. Paul is, or I'm sorry, Jude here is speaking of uh, false teachers um, and, and individuals like that. And um, let's see, I, I want you in verse 8, I believe. Jude, verse 8. He refers to these people, likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. Notice this, they despise dominion. Anybody want to know what he means by that? They have authority issues. They despise them. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. They have authority issues, unless they're the authority. And speak evil of dignities. Um, Jude lumps that all in with, with false teachers. Now, the idea, we're going back here to Acts chapter 23, as as believers, we need to be very careful that doesn't mean that we don't get to speak out against uh, things that are being done wrong in our country. We do have the right to, to redress grievances is the way it is placed in the, the founding documents. Uh, there's a right way and a wrong way about it. But we got to remember at the same time, the powers that be are ordained of whom? God. I heard it said one time that God gives a people either the leaders they need or the leaders they deserve. 
You know, our nation decided we didn't need God anymore and threw him out of our schools and, and uh, we've thrown him out of our culture. It's only a matter of time before a society like that descends into all kinds of chaos. And uh, when you have chaos, you're going to end up with a dictator somewhere along the line. Uh, again, it doesn't mean that we cannot uh, uh, stand up for what is right and true, and we, we ought to. We ought to uh, contact our congressmen and so forth, but I guarantee you this. I've been down on Capitol Hill enough times to know this. Uh, somebody calls them and uh, says, I'm a Christian, and I think that you're the lowest uh, thing that crawls on, on, on this earth, and you ought to just get right with God, or you're going to burn in hell. They just totally discredit that. They hang up the phone, and they laugh. They, they don't respect that at all. They're the same way when they get emails uh, from people like that. But if somebody comes along and is, is willing to sit down and talk kindly to them, they may disagree for the most part. I'm not saying all of them. You got a few people out there. Uh, and serving in all levels of government uh, that are irascible. That's a good word. Um, they're, they're the, you know, uh, as Nabal was a churlish man and you couldn't speak to him peaceably. There are some people in leadership like that, but by and large, there are people down there that will actually listen if you go about it rightly. Um, uh, Trina and I, a few years ago, were down uh, on Capitol Hill for what's called the Capitol Connection. And uh, we had uh, a book that was specially printed for all the members of the House of Representatives and all of our senators. Uh, we had some gospel literature uh, that was pr uh, pr uh, printed up specifically for them and for that day. Uh, it was well done and so forth. And uh, we found out that uh, nobody uh, had signed up to go to Senator Chris Murphy's office. Um, we don't really line up with Senator Murphy on on anything except that the sky is blue sometimes, you know, that type of thing. Um, and so we, we went to his office and, and we had everything there and, and, and Trina and I introduced ourselves and uh, told him, you know, uh, we, we lived in Meriden, Connecticut and, and so on and so forth. Um, his, we, we were very kind and polite and, and it turned out his staff uh, were as nice to us as could be and, and uh, they were telling us where in Connecticut they were from and so forth. Senator Murphy was out of the office that particular day, uh, but I told them that we, we had uh, those things to present to him and so forth and uh, they, they graciously accepted them. We'll see that the senator receives them. Senator receives them. Um, we, we had some uh, gospel tracts and so forth. They said, do you have any extras of those that we could have and maybe give them to the folks in the back offices here and no, um, of course, we, you know, we, we were glad to do it. And we had a very cordial visit uh, and so forth. The book was put out uh, by Brother Char uh, Chuck Harding uh, from uh, uh, Capital Connection, Awake America and so forth, contained the gospel very clearly. And I think that particular year, the book was The Prayers of the Presidents uh, and so forth. Um, I got an extremely nice letter uh, from Senator Murphy. Uh, thanking my, uh, uh, me and Trina for showing up uh, and apologized for not being, uh, being there and said my staff spoke very highly of you. Uh, thank you for uh, the, the beautifully bound book that you gave to me. He said, I've actually enjoyed reading this very much. Uh, and he commented on several of the, the chapters in the book. So he, he, he must have perused it to some extent or whatever. Um, the old adage, you're going to win more flies with honey than vinegar, holds true. Um, if we'd have gone storming in there, 
uh, because we disagree with his policy on this, that, or the other thing, uh, I doubt if they would have even taken the literature from us. How many understand what I'm saying? We need to be cautious about it. Um, that's the way the world behaves. God's called us to a higher standard of living. Doesn't mean that we have to agree, but it does mean we have to be respectful. Are we okay on that? Um, and and uh, Paul is living that out. Uh, he did not know that was the high priest, and what the high priest did was wrong. Uh, Paul wasn't being respectful because he agreed with what the high priest did and ordered. He's being respectful because of the position that the high priest held, and he was going to leave it up to God from there. We okay? Okay. Um, verse number six. This has not been going well for Paul, but when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, these were the two leading religious groups in Israel at that particular time. Uh, today, if you go over to the country of Israel, um, there's a group, they're called the, the Orthodox Jews. We would see them around here, uh, places like New Haven. You'll see them in Brooklyn, New York a lot. Generally, they are the ones that uh, have the long black coats. Uh, they have the forelocks. They don't, they don't shave you know, their sideburns. They let them grow. Sometimes they wrap them around their ear. How many, what I'm talking about, the wide-brimmed hats. And I'm not saying any of this to make fun of them. That's just, that's just their identifying marks, okay? In Israel today, the Orthodox Jews, um, they dictate a lot of everyday life. For example, uh, if we lived there, and we had a loved one that passed away, there can be no funeral and no burial of any kind unless the Orthodox Jewish leadership give permission for it to be done. They have to approve it. They have that much authority there. That's kind of what the Sadducees and Pharisees were like. They were, they were Jewish people, but they had different ways of looking uh, at, at, at uh, Jewish law and so forth. So Paul perceives one part were Sadducees, the other Pharisees. He cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of the Pharisee. Of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called in question. He knows he's not going to get a hearing now. He knows it's probably going to devolve into the same chaos that it was the day before uh, and so forth. And um, so maybe he's trying to get part of this council on his side. And when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the multitude was divided. They started arguing amongst themselves. When I got ordained, I stood before an ordination council. Uh, there were about 25 pastors from the, the Pittsburgh area that came, uh, and I was questioned for three of the longest hours of my entire life. Um, one question was given to me, and it had to do with, did I believe in the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus? Um, and uh, of course I did, uh, and so forth. But there was, uh, I don't know if it was uh, the, the way I said something or the way the question was asked or whatever. Somehow I'm standing up behind the pulpit and the, pre the, the pastors are out there asking me questions. Uh, they, the pastors start, started having um, uh, no small dissension among themselves. I mean, I'm, I'm just standing up there. You know, I'm a young preacher guy and they're, they're arguing back and forth. 
Now, my pastor that I was saved under there just happened to be there. He wasn't the moderator. But finally, he stood up, and he was, he was uh, uh, around 80 years of age at the time. He said, gentlemen, we're not here to find out what you believe. We're here to find out what he believes. And if you don't like what he believes, in a, a little while, there will be a vote. Just vote no. But until then, we don't really care what you think. And they all listened to him. This is what's going on for Paul, only it, it wasn't very uh, civil. And there's this, there's this big dissension going on. And here's why. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. The Sadducees believe that when you're dead, you're dead. That's just it. What a, what a sad way to live. If, if that's the case, if when you're dead, you're dead, does it matter how you live? Other than the fact that if you, if you live uh, a, a wicked life, you may die early because of drug addiction or alcoholism or, you know, violent crime or something like that. But if it's just you're going to live and then die and that's all that there is, why be religious at all? Right? But that's what the Sadducees believed. They didn't believe in angels. And of course, in, in Paul's testimony, he's, he's talking about the Lord appearing to him and so on and so forth. Uh, they don't believe that, that man has a spirit. My pastor said they don't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. I learned that when I was uh, uh, 14 years old, and I never forgot what a Sadducee was, as corny as that is. The Pharisees, on the other hand, were a little more biblically grounded on things, and they did believe in a resurrection uh, of the dead. Uh, they believed in angels, and they believed that man had a spirit. Um, and there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were of the Pharisees' part arose and strove, saying, we find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel hath spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Now, they're not saying that they agree with anything that Paul has said, but he's a Pharisee, and they're going to stand with one of their own. He's a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Uh, anything uh, to, to just stand up to the Sadducees. And so Paul's got part of this crowd on his side, uh, but this is, not a, this is not a good thing. Verse 10, and when there arose a great dissension. It went from just a dissension in verse seven. It's a great dissension. The chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force from among them and to bring him into the castle. So the, the Romans are just watching the proceedings here, uh, kind of hoping these guys are going to sort things out that with them present, maybe everything will be a bit calmer than it was the day before. Do you realize it got so violent that chief captain was afraid they were going to rip Paul uh, into pieces? Um, I told you about my ordination, and there were preachers arguing with each other, but at no point did I feel threatened that they were going to come up there and they were going to beat the living daylights out of me. That wasn't going on. It was just some, some by the way, some good men uh, who were arguing over uh, just, just uh, splicing words and stuff, not even words that I said, just words that one of them said, and uh, so forth. Um, but this is not the case here. This was bad enough that this chief captain, and I wanted you to think about this. We're, we're, we're going to be out of time. I, I really wanted to get to verse 11, uh, but, but that'll be next Wednesday. We can spend some quality time there. This chief captain is a Roman. He's a pagan. 
He's been assigned to this duty post by the Roman emperor. He got no choice in this. He didn't sign up for it to be there. There were some Roman centurions and leaders that had a favorable view of Jewish people. Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 was a friend to the Jewish people. He gave much alms to God. Uh, the, the, uh, uh, the, the centurion, a Roman centurion uh, in the city, city of Capernaum, uh, he built a synagogue for the Jewish people, the ruins of which still stand today 2,000 years later. Somewhere along the line, there were some people that were good enough testimony in front of these Romans that they had a favorable view. You got a chief captain here, and he does not know what Paul preached the day before. That was done in the Hebrew tongue, which he probably did not understand. But the Jewish people claimed to have the scriptures. They claimed that they were the chosen people of God. And by the way, they were, and they still are, and they always will be. Okay? Were they living like the chosen people of God? No, they aren't, they aren't just fighting about Paul now. They're fighting amongst themselves. The, the, the Sanhedrin was 70 people generally at any given time. And, and here they are. There's a great dissension um, that's going on. And, and uh, whatever's going on between them, Paul was caught in the middle. And it looks like this guy, Paul, uh, is, is about to be torn to pieces uh, from them. What a terrible testimony in front of that man. What a terrible testimony. We must always be careful of our testimony. My father-in-law was a rough living, gruff kind of man. Um, deep down inside, he would do anything for anybody. He would literally uh, give the shirt off his back to help someone if they had a need, but he had been a hard living man his whole life. Uh, he, he was an alcoholic. Uh, when, when my wife was growing up, he did drugs. Um, he had uh, other women coming into the home while his mother was, while Trina's mom was in the house. Um, he was a mean drunk. He was violent. Uh, Trina's mom never, never got uh, much heavier than 92, 93 pounds. She was a small, very thin lady. And Trina told me times of, of watching her dad in a drunken rage throwing uh, her mom against the wall in the house. There were times they'd leave the house and stay elsewhere um, uh, for fear of him, and they had to wait sometimes several days. One year it happened on Christmas Day, uh, and they had to stay at a friend's trailer until uh, they got an all clear from other family members, said, he's, he's uh, sober now, you can come back home. That was the man she grew up with. Trina got, uh, got saved at a young age, uh, a babysitter took her to an independent Baptist church like ours. I just got a, uh, a Christmas card from that lady the other day. May Klingen is her, her name. She's in her 90s now. Um, and uh, every year still sends me a card. Um, and uh, she calls me about once a year. May Klingen took Trina to church. And eventually that church began running, running a bus to Trina's neighborhood and, and started taking her. And, and Trina got saved. Trina had a, a burden her whole life for her mom and dad to get saved, and uh, they never went to church with her. Uh, they, they didn't understand or like anything about her faith uh, and the Christian life that she was trying to live. 
uh, when we got married, uh, coming to our wedding was the first time that uh, really they'd ever been to, to church that Trina could remember. They'd never gone before. Uh, the gospel was given at our wedding. It was given at our kids' kindergarten graduations, or their high school graduations, uh, their weddings, and so forth. And uh, those were the only times that Trina's mom and dad ever came to church with her. Anytime that any one of us would bring the gospel up to her father, he would shut it down in a heartbeat, almost in a hostile manner. And so we, we were just kind of, we had to resort to prayer. How many of you, you understand that situation? Maybe you're in that with family members. You can, sometimes you can only say so much. And we prayed and prayed and prayed. Her parents getting up in years. Um, her dad had COPD. Her mom had COPD. He would pass away first. Her mom just passed away uh, just about four months or so ago. Um, then Trina got sick. We went out to see them uh, as soon as she was able to travel uh, and uh, wanted to make sure that uh, she could spend a little time with her family there in Ohio. And it was at that time, uh, they knew the diagnosis and they knew that Trina, um, that this cancer, unless God worked a miracle, uh, was more than likely gonna take her life. And for the first time in her entire life, her dad let Trina share the gospel with him. And the story that he related, he opened up his heart to her, broke her heart, broke her heart. He said that, um, that his, his grandmother was a godly lady. I've heard the family talk so much about her. She was a very, very godly lady um, and, and so forth. And she raised uh, you know, her kids in church and all of that. But when Trina's grandfather became in his 20s, his, his life goal was to become a millionaire, which it's believed he, he eventually did. And money was everything and church was nothing. So uh, the only influence that her dad had was from his grandmother. Um, she, she got him and Trina's uncle Richard to go to uh, summer camp one year. And Trina's dad said at that summer camp, he heard the gospel that she had shared with him and he went forward at an invitation and somebody took a Bible and he said, I clearly remember praying with that person and I prayed and I asked the Lord to save me. And Trina just looked at him and said, Dad, what happened? He said when he was 16 years of age, he got some of his friends together on a Sunday evening and said, uh, let's go to church. They thought he was joking. He said, no, let's go to church. And so they drove and they went to church. And when they got there, some of the deacons were having a fist fight out in the lawn in front of the church. Fists were flying. Curses were filling the air. And he looked at his friends and said, if this is church, I don't want anything to do with it. And he said, that's the last time I went to church until the day you got married. Trina and I talked about that. Do you realize how different her life could have been if that had not been the case? If she had walked into a church with the spirit of Christ like we hope and pray and strive that exists here, you realize he might not have gone the way of drugs and alcohol. 
but he got so turned off by the testimony of some, some men at their worst moment. And I'm not saying that's the way they always were, but it won't surprise me that it was more part of their lives than ever if they could do that at church. Whatever it was that they were fighting about, can I just say this? It wasn't worth it. Wasn't worth it at all. Our testimony is so important. I'm just closing thing. Here's a captain watching these people that claim we have the scriptures. We worship the only true God that there is. And he's looking at them behaving like that. What a terrible testimony. We need to guard our testimony for all it's worth. Amen. We need to stop there. Father, thank you for the Bible.